welcome all you weirdos, Krakoans, and beast clones trying to while away the time buried under World Heritage Sites. Prepare yourselves to receive your 53rd Weird Dose of X. As always, we remain your mute member of the Weird Science Podcast family. I'm your host, Jason, broadcasting from the state-of-the-art Wrong Turn Studio, high atop stately Weird Science Tower. And here with me, as always, is your pal and mine, Ruben. Ruben, how the heck are you today? Doing well. Good to be here. It's going to be a short episode, but that's all right. Yeah, the the books are kind of erratic lately. I'm sure it all has to do with the whole gala, Fall of X thing. So yeah, for the next few weeks, it looks like we're going to have one or two books per week, unless we come up with other stuff to talk about. But you know, that's all right. And we will be here once Fall of X hits to figure out what in the world is going to go on there. So today, there's only one official book to talk about, and that is X-Force number 41. Before that, we're going to go off and do a little semi-news segment and chat about a book called Ultimate Invasion number one, mostly because it's written by our old pal Jonathan Hickman. Now, Professor X does appear in the book, so I guess you could say technically it is connected to the Krakoan era, but I, I don't think Professor X actually has a line. I think he's just kind of in the background in a couple of scenes, but he is there, so it counts. Now, Ruben, I understand you're not the biggest scholar of the Ultimate Universe, a.k.a. Earth-1610. Is that is that about right? Yeah, I've never read a single Ultimate wow. book. okay. I am... All I know about them is that is where Miles Morales comes from, and that's the extent of it. Okay, so let me give you the, the basics. I, when I got back into comics a few years ago, I really read the Ultimate Universe stuff almost almost to the exclusion of the main Marvel Universe. It just seemed like an easier entry point. Just the huge backlog of thousands of issues seemed you know too much, uh, and I guess that was their their point really. So uh, Hickman was one of the big architects of that. Also, Mark Millar, Brian Michael Bendis, Warren Ellis, uh, Brian Hitch drew the book called The Ultimate. So, uh, you know, really quality you know, workers at the time, quality artists and, and writers. That imprint lasted from 2000 to 2015, which is a good long run for, a, for an imprint, uh, ending with the Secret Wars crossover written by Hickman. That's one where like the two universes were impinging on each other and, and one of them's got to go. Like you said, there was a small number of characters that came over into the main Marvel universe, Mar- Miles Morales, of course, uh, also an evil version of Reed Richards called the Maker, who is who I thought Professor X was going to turn out to be back in the Hawks Pox days. Uh, also, there's some minor characters that came over, including Jimmy Hudson, who was the son of the Ultimate Universe Wolverine. He ended up in the 616 somehow. He was in the uh, the run right before Hawks Pox. Did you read those books, the blue and the gold no. and those things? No, but he was in it. He was there. I, I think he's been kind of shuffled off to the side. I don't expect he's going to be a major player in this uh, Ultimate Invasion. Is he a mutant? Oh, he certainly is. And uh, one interesting thing about the Ultimate Universe books is that to make them look kind of different from the main Marvel books, the word bubbles were not in all caps. It was, you know, capital letters where capital letters should be, but other than that, lowercase text in the word bubbles. Which, when we saw, that's also what Hickman does, and all the the, uh, the X books are doing these days. Which also made me think there was a connection back there. So in this issue, uh, the maker he speaks in mixed capitals and lowercase when everyone else is speaking in all capitals, which really sets him apart, makes him seem a little different, a little like he shouldn't really be there, which is kind of cool. So anyway, now the Ultimate Universe is supposed to be coming back, launching out of this four issue Ultimate Invasion book by Hickman and Hitch. 
The main character here is the maker, and he's being opposed by the group uh, known as the Illuminati. We're like the some of the big players in the Marvel Universe. It's Doctor Strange, Tony Stark, Black Panther, Professor X in the background, Namor, Black Bolt, we haven't seen in forever, and of course, R. Reed Richards. Now, in this book, the maker steals a bunch of various Marvel technology, uh, including a Krokoan gate. So again, Krokoan connection. And he uses it to, we think, go back to the Marvel, to, uh, excuse me, to go back to the ultimate Marvel universe. Now, he invites Miles to go back with him because, you know, they're kind of like not brothers exactly, but they're pretty much the only two-ish people still existing from there. Miles says, literally, nah, I'm good. But uh, I, I imagine Miles has got to be big in this this story come, going forward. The the maker gives him a business card, says, you know, you know call me if you change your mind. The business card is completely blank. So that's definitely going to be a thing, whatever it is. So then we get an epilogue set in what we're told is Earth 6160, 6160, which sounds like a lost Van Halen album, but is actually just the numbers like the main Marvel 616 universe and the old ultimate 1610-1610 universe kind of squished together. So it's it's a new thing, but clearly referencing the old things. And we get that classic scene of teenage Peter Parker visiting the science exhibit, right? Seen this a million times. He's there with his friends. He's a nerd. He looks around. The irradiated spider descends to bite him and, you know, give him his, his magic spider powers. This time, that spider is caught and squished by, turns out to be, no surprise, the maker. So the maker has this new universe, who I guess he's created somehow. And at least in this case, he's preventing a superhero from being created. So what is his goal? What is his deal? Hard to say, but it sounds kind of neat. So does that seem like something that might be interesting to you? Yeah, no, definitely. I'll probably pick this up and, and check it out later. It doesn't sound like I need to know what's going on in the old universe, which is one reason I didn't pick it up today. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be referencing any kind of deep lore. If you kind of know the basics of uh, Secret Wars and just just basically the the stuff I just told you, it should be enough to, to make sense out of this. Uh, there is some some weird stuff, and I, I have some questions here. Like the big one is, what is this going to become? Like the whole universe is it just a nostalgia play, like we've seen with Storm and Gambit, and Joe Fix It, and Lethal Protector. You know, just kind of reminding us of some cool things from the past and giving us, you know, a couple more stories. But I don't think they'd bring Hickman in to do it if that's all they wanted to do, right? He's supposed yeah. to be their their architect. I'm curious if this plays into his other God's property as well. Like, is he... It's I, not These guys always to? intertwine everything. Right. Yeah. If if it is going to hook up with that that book, then they're keeping it very secret at the moment. I mean, that could be a, a giant reveal at the end of this Forrester series, but so far there haven't been any hints that there's any connection there. But yeah, I am wondering what, what they're doing here. And the other question I have is, what happened to the maker between the last time we saw him and now? So who he, he has, he's popped up occasionally in 616 books since the end of Ultimate Universe. And really, the last one was in uh, 2020 in the Donny Cates Venom series, specifically Volume 4, Number 26. Uh, and in that book, he had made it back to the Ultimate Universe which he saw was just like a, a total wreck, just a mess. And that's where we, we dropped it. Now, at the start of this series, Ultimate Invasion, he's in the 616 universe in, you know, one of your basic super prisons. So how did he get from that point to this point? And I really hope that Hickman makes that continuity work and doesn't just leave it unexplained or, you know, kind of memory holes that. But 
I, I really want to see how that connects. I, I hope they make it work. So yeah, I'm not going to rate the book, but uh, any Hickman fans out there, you'll probably want to check it out. It's a very Hickman-y book. And if you've read Jonathan Hickman books, you you know for good and bad, that's what it is. It is an expensive book. It's nine bucks just for this one issue. And it's kind of, it's a double-sized book and there's some sketches in the back, you know, showing the pencils that go into it. But that's that's a lot of money for one comic. So I can understand why people might not want to shell out for that. Yeah. But uh, it is some some cool stuff. That sounds fun. It yeah, I cool. think it will be. I I hope it is. It's you know it's always cool to see something new pop up in the Marvel universe. And and Hickman does interesting stuff. He's not always allowed to do the stuff he wants to do, but when he's given control, it's usually it's usually worth reading. So that is that. And the next issue of that comes out in like four weeks at the end of July. But enough of that nonsense. We're here to talk about and to listen to us jabber about the X-Men and Krakoa. So without any further, further ado, we're on to X-Force number 41, The Ghost Calendars Part 2, written by Ben Percy, art by Paul Davidson, colors by Guru Effects, letters by, by Joe Caramagna, and designed by Tom Muller with Jay Bowen. Now, this is another chapter that I didn't think was nearly as funny as Ben Percy wants me to think. Did you have that same reaction or, or, or was this your favorite thing ever? The parts of this that I liked were not the humor. Yeah. I, I, I kind of enjoyed some of the parts where Colossus is questioning, you know, who is this beast and is he all evil, right? Partially because I think he's asking for himself, right? With his, the stuff he's doing. I think he's hoping that, you know, people can understand that good people do bad things. Yeah, there's there's like two kind of thinky, thoughtful scenes in here. The, that scene and kind of the, the very first bit with Beast. And the rest of it is just some kind of silly action with some, I think, mostly bad humor thrown in. But there are a couple of interesting things to talk about. Yeah. So uh, it's going to be another chapter where I ask, why is the rest of X-Force even here? Because again, <laughs> Kid Omega doesn't need them. He doesn't. He does it all by himself. And yeah. In this issue, one member of X-Force is killed off. And I didn't even realize it the first time through because it's just barely mentioned. It just happens. It's never referenced again. No one else in the book mentions, oh, hey, Omega Red is dead. Uh, so I, that was a weird thing to do. These books can't seem to decide if death matters or doesn't matter. And in yeah. this book, it, it's so minor. It's like one little panel. Oh, he's dead now. It's like, oh, they killed Kenny and no one cares. Mm -hmm. So this book starts off with a, a prelude section, which I think was my favorite part of the book, the best writing and the best art. Uh, it's a flashback to Beast hiding clones of himself, the, the ones that are going to periodically wake up in various centuries and start causing mischief, which is not an awful concept. Beast is a methodical kind of guy. He likes to have backup plans for his backup plans. So where does he hide these sleeping clones? Well, inside one of the pyramids. Okay, he kind of treats a mummy there pretty roughly. I think we're not supposed to like Beast anymore. Uh, next one, he hides in Rome in the Colosseum, then a third in the Great Wall of China, then in a step pyramid in Mexico. Notice how I uh, dodged having to say the name of that thing. I just call it a step pyramid. And finally, one in Stonehenge. And his idea, and again, not an awful idea, is that these world historical sites are the only places he can be sure won't be turned into, quote, fast food restaurants or apartment complexes. Okay, that's kind of neat. He wants this to be, you know, long, long term. But even though there's not like there's going to be a road built through the middle of the pyramids, archaeologists are going to be poking around all these places, right? 
at some point they're going to. If get you look at the- Stonehenge, she buries this you know techno sarcophagus right in the middle of Stonehenge. It looks like it's about a foot deep. Some somebody's going to notice that. I mean, hey, yeah, you know, people people are coming here all the time. Hey, where's that mound of, of of earth right there in the middle? Oh, I don't know. Let's just leave it for the next five thousand years. Oh well. And also, uh, it looks like the Cerebro Sword being buried with the Stonehenge clone. Doesn't it? Yeah, it, it definitely is the Cerebro Sword. But we're told over in Wolverine that that's like a vital thing that Beast needs to have around to do whatever cloning thing he's doing. So, I don't know, maybe X-Force writer Ben Percy should be coordinating better with the writer of Wolverine, who was, of course, also Ben Percy. <laughs> like, maybe it'll be explained. It looked like it was thrown in, oh, it'll look cool because he's, you know, a Stonehenge. That's in England. That's where King Arthur is. Let's give him a sword. So I think it's just thrown in to look cool, but it doesn't really make sense if you think about it. And yeah, also, apparently he's cloning the sword as well. <laughs> oh, no. But also, one more thing to point out in this scene. What do you think of how Beast is drawn in these panels? Do you notice anything unusual? Uh, he's smiling, and he doesn't have an eye patch. He is super ripped. I mean, he has <laughs> these huge, bulging arms and this really tight six-pack. And sure, really? Hank McCoy is a strong character, but I'm used to him being kind of a little fluffy around the middle, right? He's not... He's not manly, you know, veiny arm man so much. I, he's been cloning himself. I guess he made his own sexiest self. It's fine, but I thought it was worth noting. It's, that's not what I think a beast is looking like. But yeah, kind of a kind of a cool scene, even though I enjoy, you know, poking out some of the inconsistencies. But on to the main action. We have X-Force minus Deadpool, but including old man Kid Omega, tumbling out through a pink portal and pop out at a time we're told is 5,000 years after that current day scene with Beast, which is actually earlier in time than the adventure they had in the last issue. And we know this because the moon was all blowed up last issue, but here the moon still exists and it has the face of Beast on it, which is going to be important later. I mean, not like important, important, but it's going to come up. Now, our heroes need an action scene, and, and so they're attacked by Krakoan vine creatures that have had Beast's own DNA spliced into them. Uh, and this was, again, like last issue, Beast DNA spliced into things, and we get these kind of generic green monsters with vaguely Beast-shaped heads. They, they look all right, but just the character design looks kind of obvious. It doesn't look like a whole lot of thought was put into it. Did you get much out of this fight scene? No. I mean, it looks cool enough, but as you say, it's not important. It's, it's not memorable. It's just, oh, we need it. We need a fight scene. So here's a fight scene. Yeah. Uh, they're rescued by these uh, floating pink jellyfish that take them off to see Deadpool. Hey, we, uh, we remember him. He's over in Staten Island, which in his own book, I don't know, a couple volumes ago, he was the king of Staten Island. So I'm sure that's a reference to that. Uh, now, Deadpool, you might recall, got left behind when old man Kid Omega kidnapped the rest of X-Force. So I guess we're to think that he's just lived linearly through 5,000 years of history. Is that what you took going on? Yes, yes, yeah. Which, I mean, he's got the healing factor. That can happen. But uh, it's, again, a semi-interesting idea that's not really explored, just kind of waved out in passing. And the next plot point is old man Kid Omega having another one of his episodes where he loses coherence. And we get a data page reminding us that he merged himself with Cerebrax a.k.a. that rogue sentient Cerebro helmet, uh, which we sometimes call the hentai helmet. Uh, this page is just filled with many, many versions of Cerebro as Quentin, Quentin as Cerebrax, you know, back and forth. Uh, and Deadpool seems to know what's up here, but he won't tell anyone other than to say, I'll tell you earlier. Now, young Laura is utterly confused by this, 
even though she knows she's in a time travel story. <laughs> come on, come on, Laura. You you should have been able to figure out what he meant by that. Don't look so dumb. And they already did a time jump. Yeah, that's that's pretty funny. <laughs> I'll tell you earlier. What does that mean? I can't tell. That's crazy. So anyway, they're attacked by those green beast monsters again uh, to fill some more page space. And here's where the fight goes really badly for our heroes. And Omega Red gets dissolved by like this puked up acid stuff. And that, again, I totally missed here that he's actually, I mean, he is dead, right? Is that what happened? I don't know, because he has a healing factor. He does. But do we see him, do we see him again? And we don't I see him. Not. In this one little panel, he's yeah. like skeletonized on half of his body, which, again, is, can he come back from that? But he does not appear on panel anywhere else in the book, and no one mentions whether he's alive or dead. And then when yeah. they go through the portal at the end, he's not standing there to go through the portal. So I think he must be dead. Okay. Which yeah, again, it should it that should make a big deal. He's, <laughs> he's one of the members of the team. He's on the cover. Yeah. If he's dead, make it at least kind of a big deal. Or if it's not going to be a big deal, mention to us, oh, we'll just have to clone him again when we're back to Krakoa. Just say yeah. something. Pretty callous. They it really is. Don't care. <laughs> Poor Arkady. So uh, Deadpool tells old man Kid Omega, you're in charge. Fix this. So old man Kid Omega looks up at the beastly moon. He creates a giant pink missile to straddle. Freudian implications difficult to ignore there. Uh, and he uses that pink missile to explode the beast moon, break it into two pieces, so that it now matches the appearance in the previous issue, which that's actually a nice little bit of internal continuity, and I appreciate that. Now, blowing up the moon saves the world, makes all the Krakoan beast monsters shrivel up and die. We don't know how they were connected. We don't know what Beast's plan was. <laughs> It just kind of happens. And again, Quentin solves this world's problem completely by himself. Did not need X-Force. He could have popped out through the portal in panel one, blown up the moon in panel two, and everything would have been fixed. Yeah. I don't even exactly understand. Yeah. I I really don't, like, it seems like he kind of knew that that's how you stop the the vine creatures, right? So why didn't he do it earlier? I guess so. I mean, he does have, you know, a mental thing going on you know, back and forth where he's kind of himself and he's kind of not. So you could say that the reason he didn't do it himself is because his brain wasn't quite working right. Again, I if we're this is gonna be an issue of X Force, X Force should have a, a bigger role, I think. So this is where we get that conversation between Domino and Colossus. And I thought that was an okay thing. Uh, Colossus does bring up that kind of fan favorite theory that it was uh Dark Beast all along. Yeah. I appreciated this probably this was my favorite part of this issue and Mostly because it's a very obvious thought, right? As you said, it's a fan favorite theory. We've been talking about it, and it sort of makes you wonder why none of the characters have not had this thought on on the pages. Yeah, it's and I don't. It, go ahead. I mean, even Domino's commentary doesn't really convince me otherwise, right? Because she's like, "Oh, well, you never thought that we brought back the wrong version of Eric, right? Like suddenly he's nice and good." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I I hadn't thought about that, but actually now, now yeah, that made, that makes sense too, right? So it does. Maybe yeah. maybe many characters. And are then Domino the kind of makes a shorter version of the same argument that Beast made in Wolverine, right? Where yeah. she says, oh, he's really been this person all along. He's just never been put in an environment where this part of him, you know, was able to show to really come to the forefront. So yeah, it was okay. And also, I just like seeing Domino and Colossus together again in, in X-Force because going way back to the beginning of this whole volume, right after Hawks and Pox, they had a very interesting relationship with each other, dating back to the whole 
the whole deal about Domino being revived with or without all of her memories. Yeah. And I don't know if she has like a strong relationship with Beast, but actually her commentary on that mm-hmm. sort of just thinking about reality and, and if this was me, right? Like if I was doing something really out of character and somebody was like, hey, it doesn't seem like him. And then a person in my life was like, hey, no, he's always been that person. I'd be like, well, fuck you. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> seriously? Yeah. I think the first person that was questioning, am I acting normal? Was like onto something, right? So kind of makes me annoyed at her, but I'm like, well, maybe she's more of a stranger to Hank. I can't really think of a time when Domino and Beast have interacted. So mm-hmm. I guess hands. it'd be an okay. I mean, I'm giving Ben Percy too much depth, right? Like, I'm sure none of this is what he intended with those comments, but. Uh, it is oh, a interesting, interesting thought. I like that thought. dialogue bit. I would have liked another little mention here having to do with Colossus now not being controlled by Chronicler. Yeah. We did get a cool bit about that last issue, and, and here it's just kind of dropped. And maybe there's just not, not time to fit that in, but I could have done with, you know, one page less of fighting vine monsters and one more page of trying to explore that idea. Well, one thing I'd say about that, and this kind of pissed me off, and I was wondering about that, was... He hasn't come clean because he was under mind control, right? Right. It's, seriously, dude, like, you're now time traveling. Be like, hey, I know we're dealing with this shit, right? But just so you know, like, there's a bigger problem, right? You got to mm. know this information. It's and kind then- of inconsistent across books. Back in Immortal, he was very aware that he was being controlled and yeah. was trying so hard to get around it to convince people, to tell people the secret, I'm being controlled. Yep. Here in this book, he doesn't. He knows that something changed, but we don't really get the idea. If, if you didn't read, if you only read this book, you wouldn't get the idea that he was aware of quite what was happening. He was just, aha, that was weird. I feel funny. So it's inconsistent between between books there. Yeah, it kind of it just kind of irritated me. Yeah, there's again, this book kind of gestures towards interesting concepts, but doesn't really get into them as much as I'd, I'd really like to see. Not the way that, uh, you know, Al Ewing or Kieran Gillen kind of gets into those similar issues. Now, uh, is there anything else we need to say about this scene or we're ready to, nope. to move on? It, it is a, a good scene. Uh, so before that conversation can get any deeper, that's when old man Kid Omega falls out of the sky and he briefly coughs up this Cerebrax tentacle just to remind us he's still got that whole situation which I guess will be resolved next issue in, in one way or another. Again, I'm still really curious what his status quo was going to be after this arc. Are we going to have old man Kid Omega out there doing his thing? Is he going to be part of Krakoa? Is he going to be killed and resurrected back to his young self? It could go a lot of ways. So at the end here, Quentin opens up a new portal to what he says is the final uh, level of this little video game they've been playing, which is confusing because That'll be only the third point of the timeline we see them visit, right? Last issue, this issue, now this new one. And we know from the prelude page that Beast hit at least five copies of himself. So maybe there were adventures between issues we don't get to see, or maybe a couple of those beasts didn't take, or Kid Omega doesn't know about. Yeah. It just seems funny that we're definitely shown there's at least five of them, and now, oh, we're going to take care of three, and then we'll be done. <laughs> There's something not connecting the dots there for me. Yeah. So that's the issue. The, the art here is really good. I enjoy the art a lot. It's a kind of a shame it's in the service of such a mostly weightless story. I gave the last issue a six out of ten, and I think maybe we found enough things in the story to be about as interesting as the last issue. So I'm going to give X Force number forty-one 
another six out of ten. What do you think? About about what yeah, I think? I'm in the range between six and six five, so maybe I'll just do six three. Six point three, sure. So I gotta not. be super positive here. <laughs> Yeah, so this storyline wraps up uh, the next issue, uh, where we find out if Quentin will solo one-hit kill all that world's problems too, or maybe the team gets to do something. Uh, will anyone notice that Omega Red is missing? And then, <laughs> after the gala, we're in Fall of X territory, and, and who knows what this book's going to be up to. I'm still working real hard to avoid spoilers, but I do know that this X-Force book has been solicited through at least issue 44 with Ben Percy still listed as the writer. So this title is continuing to the future as far as I can tell, but it'll have to be something significantly different, I would guess. Okay, that is all we had to talk about today. Next week, we have, as I scroll, scroll, scroll through my little document here, next week we have, well, it's another kind of, you know, small week of books. We do have Storm number two of five, which we may or may not talk about. We weren't too thrilled with the first one. But we definitely have a book I'm super excited about, and it is X-Men Before the Fall, The Heralds of Apocalypse, which is the one shot written by Al Ewing that I really hope tells me what I want to know about the things missing from that last X-Men Red issue. What, you know, basically, what's the deal with Apocalypse? Why is he not with Genesis? What's been going on over there? that we haven't been able to see. So that should be fun. Are you looking for that as well, yes, I presume? very excited for that one, yeah. Should be very cool. Well, uh, until then, uh, in this and in every universe, we always end our podcast here the same way. And what is that way again? Yeah, go read more X-Men comics. <laughs>